You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is my favorite day of the year. It truly is. Resurrection Sunday. There's no day better. And we get to celebrate and remember the glorious victory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Thank you for all of you who brought testimony. This morning, those of you who were a part of the breakfast, thank you for those that uh, helped prepare and serve and bless in so many ways. Thank you. Thank you to all of you who were a part of the uh, youth retreat this weekend. We had a wonderful time with the students. Thank you, Pastor Ben, youth team, uh, youth parents for helping clean up after. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord is good. All right, well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. It's uh, page number uh, 683 in the uh, Bible in the chair rack in front of you. So if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to grab that. If you're using your smartphone, please use it for the scripture and not for Candy Crush. Thank you. And all right. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For the last several uh, weeks, in fact, throughout the season of Lent and even starting a little before, we've been reflecting together as a congregation on the Beatitudes and culminated with uh, 10 days of uh, fasting and prayer, which was completed yesterday. Thank you to all of you who participated. Literally, if you aggregate all of the folks that were here for the 30-odd prayer gatherings, hundreds of prayers were brought before our Savior and King and our Lord. And we are praying for the Lord to hollow out a place in us for us to be filled. This is a, a year of favor. And the Lord has called us as a congregation to leverage His favor for the benefit of a wounded and waiting world. So this year of favor is not about gimme, 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 gimme blessings, Lord. It's about, Lord, hollow out in place and make me a channel of Your blessings into a world that is desperate and needing uh, a, a word of hope, a word of encouragement, a word of truth, a word of life. As part of our prayer gatherings, we also offered our prayers on behalf of the persecuted church around the world. And uh, for those of you that had the privilege of being with us on Friday night, you know that we had an incredibly extraordinary Good Friday service as a number of our uh, family of church pastors and our a uh, youth pastor from our sister church in, in uh, Minneapolis shared with us stories of persecution 
and triumphing over persecution with rejoicing. And it was just a, a powerful time and a reminder as we came to the table of the, of the power of the gospel, even in the face of persecution. And as Paul's word in his testimony, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, stand. When you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Now, this morning we're making a transition. A transition from the Beatitudes to the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And they sort of describe for us who we are called to be. And I'm going to camp on that in a moment for just a little bit longer. But then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount tells us what that looks like and what our lives are to reflect. And so we kind of move from who we are to what we're called to do. And the hinge passage for that is the passage that we are coming to this morning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. And it's the passage that we know as salt and light. And we're using that picture of the salt and light as an overarching theme for the entire series that we're going to be doing over the next several months on the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you have read the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you have even perhaps studied the Sermon on the Mount. For some of you, perhaps you've never ever even, um, you've never even uh, experienced or read or seen or know anything about the Sermon on the Mount. But over the next several months, we're going to be unpacking this incredible passage, this incredible message that Jesus brings to us. So again now, if you have your Bible, this is where we're going to be looking at and unpacking this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Say it with me in the same way. Say it again. One more time. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, just to give us a little bit of context for some of you that are kind of stepping in to, uh, to this and, and, and you might not have, so I'm going to pull out the lens for a moment because we're in the midst of not just a study of the Sermon on the Mount, but we're actually in the midst of an ongoing study that began in Advent with the Gospel of Matthew. And the theme of the Gospel of Matthew is, Behold your King. And here's just one scripture that I want to bring as a context as we get to the Sermon on the Mount. Leaving Nazareth, he went, that is Jesus, and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, as I've already shared with us several times, the kingdom of heaven, which in the other gospels is described as the king, or is spoken of as the kingdom of God, it's the same thing, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, speaks of, is something that Jesus speaks of more than anything else 
in all of the Gospels. He continually speaks about the kingdom of God. And he announces here in Matthew chapter 4, in his first public speaking and saying to the crowds, which, by the way, is located right in an area of Israel which was perhaps the most diverse ethnically, diverse religiously, the most diverse philosophically of any area. It was kind of a crossroads place. So Jesus very specifically comes to this place of tremendous diversity and speaks these words, repent, literally turn around, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And so our takeaway, our understanding here that I want us to, to and, and, and Suzuki in her, her wonderful testimony kind of brought this right to the front here, into the darkness and disorientation and disintegration of a dying world, Jesus announces the arrival of the kingdom of God. And allegiance to his kingdom brings light and reorientation and integration resulting in life to the full. So if you are here this morning and you are experiencing darkness, if you're experiencing disorientation, if you're experiencing a level of disintegration in your life, I want to encourage you today, if you've never stepped from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, if you've never turned around from the kingdom of self, the kingdom of this present age, the kingdom of the, under, under the rule of this, the evil prince of the air, our, our adversary, you can turn today and allegiance to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And allegiance to his kingdom will bring light into your darkness, will bring orientation into your disorientation, will bring integration into your disintegration. Come on, you can shout today, all right? It's Resurrection Sunday. All right, this is really good news. This is the gospel. This is the reality of the truth of the gospel. So I want to just pause for a moment to pray for us today and to pray if you have never received Christ, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of stepping. This is what we're celebrating today is life. So I want to pray for you. Just open your hands. Lord Jesus, we just want to welcome you into our lives today. We recognize, God, that in and of ourselves, Lord, we make life a mess. Lord, when we're in charge, we drive our lives into the ditch. Lord God, we know it. All of us know it. We are all sinners. We've all, we've all missed the mark. We've all, Lord, experienced the brokenness that comes from poor decisions. As, as some of our testimonies, one of our baptism testimonies spoke about the, 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 the consequences of poor decisions. Lord, we know that. We've experienced it. <laughs> Let's be honest. We've experienced it. Lord Jesus, today you are inviting us into relationship with you, a relationship that we can have life, life to the full, not only now, but eternally with you. And so, Jesus, we acknowledge our sinfulness today. And we ask you, Lord, to come, even as you did when you died on the cross, you brought the opportunity for reconciliation with the Father, and, and you brought hope of life beyond and over power over sin and death. 
break the power of sin and death in my life today. I receive your forgiveness and I thank you now and I accept the work of your spirit in my life to begin the process of transformation into my true identity as your follower, as your child. So Lord, we pledge our allegiance to you today. Christ the King. Say with me, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Again, King of kings and Lord of lords. One more time. King of kings and Lord of lords. That means he is king over all and Lord over all. And we thank you, Jesus, for your resurrection life today. Amen. All God's people said amen. Amen. All right. Now, as we close in on the Beatitudes, which is going to lead us right into our study this morning, and I just read them for you. The Beatitudes comes, the word blessed comes from the word makarios, which means happy, fortunate, blissful, bienaventurado in the Spanish. It means literally, congratulations, you're on the right road, you're going to make it. So what I want us to again remember this morning that the Beatitudes reveal for us the upside down, inside out nature of God's kingdom. These are not, you're messed up, so you better try harder. Remember in my prayer, it wasn't like, you've messed up, so you better try harder. No. These are not a new legalism. These are not a new list of do's and don'ts. These are what happen when we come to Jesus and begin to listen to him in community with fellow pilgrims. The Beatitudes are, are naturally begin to be worked out in our lives when we experience relationship with Jesus in the context of the people of God. This morning I was, I was looking in the paper and there was uh, in the parade magazine on the cover it talks about people living to 100. And it talked about the secrets to people who, who live long lives. And the first secret was have the right tribe. In other words, surround yourself with the right people. Or as my friend, uh, Pastor Ned Berube says, when you get to the end of, the, end of your life, you've got to have some people who are your people. Well, look around you. Here's your people. Because we are fellow pilgrims on this road together, living together in community with one another. And as we do, we begin to experience this upside-down, inside-out nature of God's kingdom. And he begins to work the reality of these beatitudes out in our lives, not because we're trying harder, but because we are surrendering deeper. Surrender your way to victory is the word of the Lord to us. All right, now we come to this issue of salt and light. Another friend of mine, Pastor Brad Kindle, says this, and it's a great, great little phrase. When you know who you are, we will know what to do. When we know who we are, we will know what to do. And so we need to know who we are today in order that we will know what to do. So this morning I'm going to simply give us some reminders of who we are and what results from that and what God calls us to out of that. The church, listen carefully, and again one more context as we come to the passage. The church is the only divine institution in this fallen world. It's the only divine institution in other words, an aggregate of people, not individuals, but people together. The church is the only divine inst institution. 
The body of Christ is the focus of God's promises, plans, and purposes for the salvation and transformation of the world. And we are the catalysts of that transformation. Therefore, we are called, listen carefully, I'm going to emphasize something we talked about last week when we were talking about, well, two weeks ago when we were talking about peacemakers and then we we kind of re-emphasized it last week when we talked about the persecuted. Therefore, we are called not to escape from or embrace our culture's worldview, values, and practices, but rather we to engage our worldly cultures with the worldly worldview, values, and practices of God's kingdom culture. Down through the centuries, the church has often steered itself off on one of two paths that are not the true path. One is the path of escape from the world. And there is, a, a, even today, in the church, there is movements of, of escape from the world. Us four and no more. And we're going to huddle over here and we're going to hang on until Jesus comes. We're, hang, we're holding on the fort until Jesus comes. And all those infidels out there, whoever, you know who they are. They aren't us. All of them we're going to keep out and keep away from. The other sort of ditch that the church sometimes steers into is the embracing of the world and the culture's values. And, and we are saturated. We are living. We have no idea how much we media and everything else is just saturating our lives with worldviews, with values, with practices that are not in line with the Word of God. And much of the church is taking a, a stance of, well, you know, uh, if you can't beat them, join them. I, I mean, honestly. And so the church begins to, to embrace those values and and, and it's all done in the name of sort of this tolerant love. But as we've discovered over and over again, love is not love without truth. Love is not love without truth. Neither over here, on this end in the escape, truth is not truth without love. And so the call that we are given is the call to love and truth. And that is the call to engage the culture around us and the worldly cultures, because in this house, there's a whole lot of different cultures that are here, and we are called to engage those other worldly cultures with the worldview, with the values, with the practices of God's kingdom culture. All right, everybody with me so far? Just shake your head. Do something. Let me hear something rattling around. Yes? Okay. All right. Good. All right. So, let's talk about who we are. I want to talk first about what it means to be salt. This is going to be very simple. It's not going to be long. So, take your notes and Resurrection Day Ham is waiting for you. Okay. So, here we go. All right, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So 
right here in our text. Matthew 5, verse 13. All right, what do we learn? Well, first of all, salt is purifying. Salt is purifying. There's three things that we're going to look at around salt. The first is purifying. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So let me, let me say this real quickly here. Purity is not something you achieve. It's something you receive and then continue to walk in. You're not going to achieve it by working harder at it, but by receiving the cleansing of the blood of Jesus and then living and walking in that. And I want you to understand here, though, in the context of this passage, it makes it very clear that purity is not simply a private piety. We come from a pietistic tradition. The Pentecostal movement comes out of a very pietistic holiness, out of the holiness movement, out of a very pietistic place. But I want us to make sure that we, do not, that we understand it is not only that, it is not only a private piety, it is also a public demonstration of kingdom culture. That's how it becomes purifying in the world. Is when we begin to do the things that are connected to the reality of being a kingdom culture. Okay? Are you with me? Yes? Hello? Okay. So, let's go on. Preserving. Preserving. The second thing that salt does is preserve. Jesus says in Mark 9.50, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. So one of the things that salt does, and particularly in ancient days, was used for preserving things. But I want to I kind of twist this and turn this a little bit inside out for us because I think there's a, a more expansive understanding that we need to have about preservation. I think we limit what we understand about preservation. Preserving does not mean trying to hang on to the way things have been, it is actively pursuing the way things should be. I'm going to say that again. Preserving does not mean trying to hang on to the way things have been. It is actively pursuing the way that things should be. Sometimes people say, oh man, if we could just go back to the 50s. When life was good. When America was truly a Christian nation. And there was, you know, great liberty and all these kinds of things. Well, it depends on who you're talking to and which history you're talking about. The 50s wasn't so great for everybody. Preserving doesn't mean trying to go back. Preserving has to do with Pursuing how things should be. Preserving the way thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I don't want to look back. You know, we're not going back. It's gone. I'm sorry if that's a, a flash for you this morning. It's gone. 
And we're not going back. But we must move forward to keep pursuing as salt the way things should be. Even when the tides seem to be flowing against. Okay? We don't have to be nervous. God's been God a long time. He's not applying for the job. He's not up there nervous going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do now? Right? And it's seasoning. Love this. I like salt. I got to confess, I like salt. All right. It's good for the body and soul in moderation. All right. In moderation. But it's a seasoning. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer. Everyone, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. From Colossians 4, 6, and then Romans 14, 17, and 18. In seasoning, we're not seasoning the world by being a scold and saying, well, it's about this way and that way, and it's eating and drinking, it's doing these things and following these rules and these regulations. If you do this, you're going to follow these rituals, and you're going to be able to Okay? And everybody looks at you and goes, huh? Who are you and where did you come from? But when there is this demonstration through us of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? It's a sad thing that some of the crabbiest people that you might know are Christians. It's like, really? Come on. As Dale Van Steens would say, they've been baptized in lemon juice. And as he would also say, get over yourself. Our lives should be filled with an effervescence. And our conversations seasoned with salt. So people come to us and want to listen and hear, and they want to tell us their story. And we got the two ears. We talked about that in peacemaking. Two ears and one. So we're listening to hear what they have in their hearts. So seasoning is not the result of following a set of rules and rituals. It's a result of relationship with Jesus and having his life naturally released through us. Amen? It's not about the rule and the ritual. It's about relationship. All right, let's talk about being light. For those of you keeping score, there's salt and light. That means we're getting close now, all right? Hang in there. Being light. You are the light of the world. Now we're back to our text. Go back to your text, Matthew 5, 14, first part of 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand It's standing. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Now, before we go anywhere with this light, we need to understand you are the light of the world, but Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. Well, which is it? Yes. Jesus is the light of the world, and his light shines in us, and we become to the world as the body of Christ, the light to the world. All right, three things about light. First of all, light brings revelation. 
I don't know if you've had this experience. I had this experience recently. I was driving my car, and I was driving into the sun, and I suddenly realized that my windshield was practically opaque. Had that experience? All right. Or I used to work in a pizza place. My, my folks are here this morning. They know about this, and my brother, and Aurelio's Pizza. But before it moved to the new place, when it was in the old dump, and it was in this old, old building, and, you know, and the lights are always low, and, it, it, you know, whatever, and you'd serve it. And then at the end of the night, when everybody was gone, you'd turn on the fluorescence, and you'd go, ew. Really? That's what's on the floor? That's what's on the ceiling? Ew. Right? So light reveals. I the, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So revelation points a light. It reveals to us not only those ewes, but it also reveals the path before us and the way that we should go. So what I want us to understand is into the disorientation of the world, when you look and you see and the window on your windscreen is opaque, we are to shine the light of his way into a world where that windscreen has become opaque. We are to be the light shining the way, lighting his way. Secondly, illumination. We also have the prophetic message of something completely reliable, and you do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Come back to that picture of the pizza place here and and turning on the lights, or when you suddenly, the sun finally shines in the spring and you look around and you see things, the illumination that happens because of the light the prophetic light of the truth of God, when this word begins to shine into your heart, it will begin to reveal things about yourself and about Him. And into the darkness of the world, we are to shine the light of His truth. So into the disorientation, we're shining the way. Into the darkness, we're shining the truth. We're bringing revelation. Somebody has said we stand at the, our, our culture stands at the crossroads and the signposts have fallen down. That's true. That's the disorientation and darkness. The signposts have fallen down and we don't any longer know which way to go. This will always point you towards true north. Always point you towards true north. And radiation. Do we have any radiate students in the house? Student ministries in the house? Okay, yeah, all right, good. This is for you people, you young men and women. We are called as being light to be radiators. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And now I didn't make that transition specifically for you. Students, youth. Because you all never grumble or complain. I didn't, you know. That was a house rule. That was the first house rule of the uh, retreat this weekend. No grumbling or whining. All right? They did great. Our kids did great. I'm so proud of them, honestly. But do everything without 
grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. This is being written 2,000 years ago. And today we say, ah, we've got a warped and crooked generation. Well, welcome to life on earth, okay, for the last 2,000 years, all right? Then, say then. Say then. then. Say then. then. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Into the disintegration of the world, we are to shine the light of his life. Anybody know what John 14, 6 says? I am the way. Wait, what was it, 6 or? Yeah. 14, 6. I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. As light We are to be the way, the truth, and the life. Into the disorientation, we're pointing the way. Into the darkness, we're pointing the truth. Into the disintegration, we're pointing the light of life. This is what it means to be light. All right, so let's bring it home. Being salt and light. The last portion of our verse. Back to your text, Matthew 5, last part of 16. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. First of all, there is transformation now that happens because of being salt and light. Could you read this with me? 1 Peter 2, 9 and then verse 12. But you, but let's say it, but we. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. As salt and light, we are to be that... Remember, this all hangs together if you were following through the arc of the message. I began by saying the church is the only divine institution which is is given the task by God to bring transformation to the world. We are the catalysts of that. That's what we're talking about. People of who are salt and light, bring transformation, are catalysts of transformation to the world around them. Now I want to tell you a story. While serving with Operation Mobilization in India in 1967, this is by Doug Nichols, tuberculosis forced me into a sanitarium for several months. I did not yet speak the language, but I tried to give Christian literature written in their language to the patients, doctors, and nurses, and everyone politely refused. I sensed that many weren't happy about a rich American, to them all Americans are rich, being in a free government-run sanitarium. They didn't know I was just as broke as they were. The first few nights I woke around 2 a.m. coughing, 
One morning during my coughing spell, I noticed one of the older and sicker patients across the aisle trying to get out of bed. He would sit up on the edge of the bed, try to stand, but in weakness would fall back into bed. I didn't understand what he was trying to do. He finally fell back into the bed exhausted, and I heard him crying softly. The next morning, I realized what the man had been trying to do. He had been trying to get up and walk to the bathroom. The stench in our ward was awful. Other patients yelled insults at the man. man, man. Angry nurses moved him roughly from side to side as they cleaned up the mess. One nurse even slapped him. The old man curled into a ball and wept. The next night, I again woke up coughing, and I noticed the man across the aisle sit up and again try to stand. Like the night before, he fell back whimpering. Now, I don't like bad smells, and I didn't want to become involved, but I got out of bed and went over to him. When I touched his shoulders, his eyes opened wide with fear. I smiled, put my arms under him, and picked him up. He was very light due to old age and advanced TB. I carried him to the washroom, which was just as just a filthy small room with a hole in the floor. I stood behind him with my arms under his armpits as he took care of himself. After he finished, I picked him up, carried him back to his bed. As I laid him down, he kissed me on the cheek, smiled, and said something I couldn't understand. The next morning, another patient woke me and handed me a steaming cup of tea. He motioned with his hands that he wanted a trap. As the sun rose, other patients approached, indicated they also wanted the booklets I had tried to distribute before. Throughout the day, nurses, interns, doctors asked for the literature. Weeks later, an evangelist who spoke the language visited me, and as he talked to others, he discovered that several had put their trust in Christ as Savior as a result of reading the literature. What did it take to reach these people with the gospel? It wasn't health or the ability to speak their language or a persuasive talk. I simply took a trip to the bathroom. Let your light so shine that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. These good deeds are not only, there's two different words for good, and the particular Greek word here for good is attractive. Your deeds are attractively good. Yes, they are good in character, but they're good in in nature, they're attractive for the kingdom of God. All right, I'm going to close with this. The goal of being salt and light. This is not what I'm closing with. This is almost what I'm closing with. The goal of being salt and light is not that we would attract people to us. The ultimate goal is to attract people to him. That's the goal, is to attract people not to us. All right. During the favor fast, the last 10 days, one of the days, the Lord specifically put a burden in my heart, and so now I'm going to bring the burden to us as a house together. You know, if you're a part of Bethel Christian Fellowship, that we are called to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. So this is the light and joy. This is, this, is, this is the heart of our call as a congregation here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. So I want to share with you very quickly some statistics from a City Vision report by John Mayer, a friend of mine. These are the 2015 statistics from the 16th edition. I want you to look at these immigrant groups for a moment. I want you to look at the number of population, the Christians, and the percentage of non-Christians. So we have Afghanis, Bangladeshi, Saudi Arabians, Moroccans, 
Malaysians, Syrians, Jordanians. You see the population number there, and you see the numbers of Christians. These are the amount of these folks who live in our Twin Cities area. Pakistani, Iraqi, now we're at 2,000 and above, Guyanian, Turkish, Tibetan, Iranians, Croatian. Who knew there was 10,000 Bosnians living in the Twin Cities? 80,000 Somalis. Now come to the bottom there. The total number of these folks who live in our community are 122,150. How big is Duluth? How big is Rochester? How big is Bloomington? These immigrants, if they were living in a city, would be the third largest city in our state after Minneapolis and St. Paul. Just the number of these immigrants. And there's many, many more, of course, beyond this. Of those, 1,340 I mean, you know, of course, the numbers aren't precise, but that approximately that many numbers of believers. Two churches, one Iranian church, one Somali church, both very small. Ninety, so two churches among 122,000. So if you had a city the size bigger than Duluth, bigger than Rochester, and there was only two churches in it, what would you think? Opportunity for church planting? Hello. <laughs> Come on. Yes. 98.9% of those city, that city was non-believers, non-Christians, who may have many who have not even heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very thing that we're talking about today. So my question, I felt like the Lord pressed into my heart. And I shared this with us last week when we blessed our Himalayan Christian fellowship onwards into their new building. And the question that still is on my heart this morning, well, first of all, Paul in Acts chapter 17. Listen to what he says. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Do you think that it is an accident that God has brought 122,000 of these refugees into our cities? Is that an accident? No. It says that God appointed the times in history. We live in a time in history in the appointed places. He did it. God is bringing the nations to us. So the question that haunts me is, how will we respond? We're going to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, man, we're doing really good. we got 20, 25 nations here. we got seven congregations. We're doing really well. We're, we're reflecting the kingdom of God. Yes, we are. And praise God. Because we're reflecting who we are as a house of prayer for all nations. But are we done yet? Is there still room around the throne of grace? I think my Bible tells me that like Paul... We are to get up and stand on our feet. Jesus spoke to Paul and said, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. And I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Does that sound like salt and light? 
and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God has anointed us and appointed us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So my question, my heart, as the Lord keeps speaking to me, is how will we respond? Will we be that salt and light? Who is the next people group that God is going to bring into this house for us to receive? And are we ready when they don't look like us or talk like us or think like us or dress like us or eat like us? Pastor Jesus accepted them. That's right, Stephanie. Pastor Daniel Gudu shared incre- he only shared one little piece of his testimony Friday night about having gone through incredible persecution. He went through really, really incredible persecution in Ethiopia and was literally brought by friends at night out of there into Kenya. And in Nairobi, there was thousands of Muslim refugees as well that were there and they saw thousands of Muslims come to Christ. And he said these words, the best way that we can fight the extremists and the terrorists is by bringing more and more Muslims to Jesus. So rather than fearing or going into the whatever, we're to engage. God's called us to engage these folks that are all around us that are many times invisible to us. But who is God asking us? Who is God asking you to open your heart to? Where can God allow you to be salt and light? In your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, maybe in your very own home, in this neighborhood, in the neighborhoods around us, and in the Twin Cities, in all the different places and communities that we've come from. Are there people in your people group that yet have not come to Christ? I bet there are still some Uh, white Scandinavian Caucasians who don't yet know Jesus. There might be a few Africans and there might be a few Asians and there might be a few Latinos too, right? There's still a few folks that haven't yet come. So the call is for us to be salt and light. Worship team, come on up. So this morning, I give us a word of hope. He is the light of the world. And I give you a word of challenge today. You are the light of the world. And we together, as a community here, are called to be salt and light into a world that is in darkness and disorientation and disintegration. We're bringing light and orientation and integration. We're pointing the way, the truth, and the life Bringing purifying, preserving, seasoning, revelation, illumination, transformation. So we stand to our feet. We've already had a prayer of invitation, inviting the Lord into our lives. Now I want to invite the Lord to release his life through us.
So I'm going to ask you to open your hands. We're going to sing a song in response in a moment, and then I'll give a benediction. But right now, I want to pray for us. In fact, I'd like you to take a hand of a person next to you tonight, today. It's not night yet. Okay, it's just today still. All right. Take the hand of the person next to you. Lord Jesus, we're asking, Lord, that you would make us salt and light. That you would help us to be who we're called to be. This is not a strange thing that you are asking of us. You're simply asking us to be who we are. So help us here in this house where you've called us to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. Lord, we welcome more nations here. We just saw statistics about peoples who are not yet here. They're not not just in, in this house. They're not in any house. There's no churches in so many of them, Lord these people groups. God, and there's desperate need, Lord, and you have anointed us and appointed us, and I pray, oh God, right now that you will give us everything that we need to fulfill the call that you have given to us. And on this Resurrection Sunday, Lord, where you have said the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you, that power is in us. Send us out with resurrection power. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, amen. So keep holding hands together, and we're going to sing this together, and then I'm going to give the benediction. Here we go. Now, if you just open your hands to receive the benediction. And now on this resurrection day, where together we again declare, He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. risen I pray that you will be filled once again and afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit. Be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives, and until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your lives. I bless you, people of God, in the name of Jesus. Go in his grace. Amen. Amen. Come on. Give the Lord some thanks. Come on. Hallelujah.